This is Anthony and Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. There's never been a better time to be a salesperson or a success-minded individual in human history. We now have in our hands more tools, more technology, and more insight available to us than ever before. I'm proud to announce our new sponsor for this episode of In the Arena, Jeffrey Gittimer and Gittimer Gold Webinars, the year of the sale. And what is the year of the sale and Gittimer Gold Webinars? Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get 12 webinars. You're going to get a full year of personal and professional development for sales professionals and, I would argue, success-minded individuals. It begins with webinar one, the new sale. And I'm only going to touch on this one because it's so important. It's Gittimer giving you his very best ideas on what's now, what's new, what's next, how are sales being made, and how are we going to make sales over the next decade. And this is just the greatest building block, cornerstone content for what follows. And with that, you're going to get content on following up. You're going to get content on cold calling. You're going to get content on social selling, relationships, Managing millennials, you're going to get content on how to be a trusted advisor. We use those words, but nobody tells you what you're supposed to do to be that trusted advisor. You're also going to get some ideas about differentiation that come from Gittimer, who is somebody who's very, very creative in this space and has differentiated himself amazingly in this market. I would argue perhaps the best in the market when it comes to differentiating and brand building. You're also going to get a bonus webinar called Dominate 2016. And this is not just sales content. This is who do you need to be and what do you need to do if you're really going to win in this year. And this is content that will help you succeed every year. So you go to jeffreygittimer.com forward slash gold. You'll also find this in the show notes. And you pay monthly or you pay annually. If you pay monthly, it's 79 bucks a month for 12 webinars. You're making a 12-month commitment. And if you pay for the whole year at once, it's $500. You're going to save some money there. You're going to get exclusive access to a Facebook group, and you are going to develop yourself personally and professionally. But wait, there is more. If you use the word Anthony as the code when you sign up, you're going to get a massive discount on either one of these programs. So go out and visit my friend Jeffrey Gittimer at jeffreygittimer.com forward slash gold. Check out the webinars. Do invest in your personal and professional development. It's so important. You are the only asset that you have. You're the only resource that you have. And the bigger and stronger that resource and asset is for you, the more success you're going to have. Go check it out. Gittimer Gold, jeffreygittimer.com forward slash gold. When you get there, tell Git that Anthony sent you. Honestly, I had no idea who Forbes Riley was when I met her. I assumed my mom would know who she was because she loves QVC and all those kinds of shows. 
And what's most interesting to me is that Forbes would never describe herself as a salesperson, yet she's responsible for $2 billion, with a B, dollars worth of sales of things like the Jack LaLanne Juicer or the Montel Williams Health Master or her own Spin Gym. And she sold essentially any fitness, health, or life improvement product you've ever seen in an infomercial on TV. Forbes was responsible for that. But even more interesting to me, she's been an actress in Hollywood and she's been on television shows that you've seen, including things like 24. And she's one of these indomitable spirits, one of these characters that has just a great story and a great spirit and a great heart. And I push her and I challenge her a little bit about her not wanting to put on the mantle of a salesperson when she's such a great pitch person and she's so great at sales. You're going to learn a lot from this. And I might have her tear up just a little at the end if you ever see the videos. We get a little bit emotional talking about her life and she's an open book and you're going to love this. That was enough of a setup. With no further ado, here is my new friend, Forbes Riley, in the arena. Hi, Forbes Riley. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> you are not, you do not even resemble Steve Forbes, except no, for I'm, maybe financially. There you go. That is <laughs> great. Yes, and I'm, I have a new magazine coming out, so maybe we have something in common. We'll, we'll talk about magazines and television and all the things you do, but I want to go back. I want to start this for an audience who may or may not know who you are. And so I want to go back to where I think you got your start, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I should have been an actor. And after I quit playing music, I started going to acting school, but I had a brain surgery and I ended up leaving LA and coming back to Columbus. But when you're an actor, you get this control over your emotions and you can help make people get into this emotional state. And as a keynote speaker, I've had to learn how to do that because it's a critical component. So tell me about your start in acting. And I know you from two shows that I only watch one hour of TV a week, but I remember when 24 came out, we binge watched like a whole season in a Saturday and Sunday and went through all of those. So you did that and you were also on the practice. So tell me how you got your start and how you ended up in those roles. Well, let's start with how I ended up being an actress. I started out as a very ugly little girl. I was eight years old and somehow I got hit in the face with a baseball bat and I had a very crooked nose. Uh, I used to suck my thumb and had eight years of braces and even tongue thrusters. So at some point I talked like dish. I was at, oh, I was a little overweight. I had frizzy hair and I was very antisocial. I spent a lot of my time watching television and movies. In fact, if you play 1960s and 70s television trivia with me, I spent, and keep in mind, there were no DVRs back then. I can tell you everything about Man from Uncle, Partridge Family, I Dream of Jeannie, F Troop. I know all of them. So I spent a lot of my time dreaming I could be anybody else other than me. And that's the truth. I was a very smart kid. I graduated college with two degrees in three years. I was a bookworm. And then when I was in high school, my dad slipped. He was a printer. And he had a horrible accident and spent three years in the hospital 15 operations. So a lot of my high school years were spent kind of in solitude, a very odd childhood. And I just dreamed of a better world. And I have a huge propensity to dream. And the funny thing is I had auditions for high school plays and I never, I got little tiny roles. It was always at the very bottom. I was the chorus. I was the townsperson. And I went off to college to be a lawyer because that's what smart kids did for my high school. And my senior year, I still wanted to be this actress thing. And by the way, lawyers have to read too much. I auditioned for a Shakespearean play, thinking, oh, I'm going to get the townsperson role. And crazy thing, when I went to the board and looked up, there was my name at the very top. I got the lead female role of Rosalind in As You Like It. And I went to the professor and I said, hey, help me understand why did I get this now? You know, this is like a crucial decision thing. And Professor David Richmond looked at me and he said, Forbes, you have more talent, more spirit. He just went on and on about the quality. He's also the drama teacher. 
And when I looked at him, Anthony, the crazy thing, Professor David Richman was 100% legally blind. He never saw the outside of me. And it changed my entire life. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I ended up when my dad was in the hospital. His doctor offered to fix my nose, which was crazy. That was 1975. We didn't have a lot of nose jobs back then, but it changed my face. And when my mom had said we didn't have money for college, I actually auditioned for a pageant and ended up winning in the Miss Teenage America pageant with Bob Hope. Then I head off to New York. I landed the lead in my very first movie called Splatter University, which you can still find on the internet. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. I wanted to work on Broadway in New York. And I did a lot of that. I mean, I worked with Christopher Reeve and Neil Simon and Matthew Broderick. And I went off to L.A. And the problem when I got there, though, was I was often cast as a reporter. I have no idea why. Maybe I wasn't that good an actress. Who knows? And the funny thing is, actors need day jobs. And my day job ended up being selling fitness products, being on QVC. And that's the other side of my career. Let, let, let's hold that side, though, because I want to go back and just ask you a couple more personal things. And I think that you're probably one of the few guests that I can get this personal with just because knowing you for five minutes, I already have a big sense of you. It wasn't that you weren't beautiful. It's that you didn't feel beautiful. Oh, well, let me tell you something. I have a photo. It's now lives on my wall. And if this was a video podcast, I'd show it to you. I built a whole little tree of this poor little girl from age eight to 14 and a half who was physically not pretty. And I'm talking looks deformed looking. And it's weird. I mean, that's how bad it was. And somehow it drove me into my head so much that I, you know, how little girls will escape into books. And I mean, I never dated. I didn't even lose my virginity until I was 21. Let me tell you something. I mean, it's not no, always in my head. <laughs> no, no, nobody's ever disclosed the, the age at which they lost their virginity on this podcast. So it's a first. There you go. Hey, this is what I've learned. Let me share something with you. And I'm happy to talk about the acting and how lucky I've been to do things like hosting ESPN's X Games. And I've hosted and done a lot of things in my life. But something shifted recently because now I'm actually in my 50s, which blows my mind. But I went from having it being all about me. I wanted to be rewarded for who I was. I felt that I was special. When I finally got pretty enough to make it work, then I wasn't, I was too heavy. And through my 20s and 30s, damn, I fought this weight problem. I had these 30 to 40 pounds on my body, did every diet. And by the way, I was a dancer, which makes it even worse. So I'm working out all the time and I'm still too heavy. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. And so it wasn't until everything shifted in my late 30s between getting pregnant, meeting Jack Lane shedding the weight for real, understanding diet and exercise that my true passion was like, wow, you know what? I think I'm here on earth to help other people. I don't want them to struggle the way my mom did, the way I did, the way I see people. They don't have the right information, the right knowledge. And I put my acting career on a back burner, although I am doing a movie next week, which is exciting. And I'm on this path between fitness and health and mindset to help people truly not have to struggle the way I did. Let me go forward. So when did you realize that you were a salesperson and what's the first thing that you sold? I have never been a salesperson. I don't like salespeople. <laughs> I hate being sold, which is funny because I've actually technically sold $2 billion worth of product on television. I'm going to say so, that that qualifies you in right, some so, way. Well, it does, but it qualified me to create an entire concept about pitching, not selling. And I think I'm onto something. Well, well, let me let me stop you there, because this is the interesting thing. And we're jumping forward to a question that I have a little bit longer down on my list. But right now we live in a world where I spend my time in sales. That's my area. And there's this thing right now where there's a, a group of people who like social selling. They like Twitter. They like LinkedIn. They like anything other than getting face to face or making phone calls. And one of the big premises that they have Forbes Riley, is that you should never pitch. You should just try to be helpful and you should never pitch. 
And it seems to me, it's totally counterintuitive because I think in a lot of cases, we have people who want to be pitched. They're trying to find help and they're trying to get information and they're trying to find a way to solve their problem. And they're waiting for somebody to tell them what's going on there. So tell me about the difference in selling and pitching in your mind. And then tell me what's wrong with thinking that you should never pitch. Well, it comes down to definitions. Everything does. You know, how you define success, how you define sales, how you define pitching. So you ask me how I got started. I walk into this audition and it said, sell me a pen, sell me this pen and a camera. And I looked at this and I didn't like selling. I always feel that I was kind of pressure feeling. And I picked up the pen and I said, you know, funny thing about pens. When I was in college, my mom used to write me longhand notes in ink. I kept all of them, like two and a half inches, this stack of notes. It's always like, love mommy. And I realized that a pen like this can reach out and touch somebody's heart. Well, Jacob, Body by Jake, comes out of the dark. This is in the early days of cable. Put his hand on my face. You're going to make me a lot of money. <laughs> and he actually ended up selling the network that I hosted for five years, and I did all the selling of QVC-style fitness products for $500 million. So what did I do? I, in my way, I enrolled you. See, I define pitch as a one-sided conversation created to get a yes. Pitching is not yelling or screaming or conniving or yelling or selling at you. It is a one-sided conversation to enroll you, excite you, illuminate what's going on, and to get you so sucked in that the only thing that you can do is say, yes, I'm in. I love that. What was the first product that you did for Body by Jake? What was that? Well, actually, if you go to YouTube and you type in Fit TV and Forbes Riley, you'll see it's all 1,500 different products. And it wasn't for Jake, just so you know. Every health and fitness and wellness company came on this show in the five years I was there, I sold 1,500 different products from the stair climber to the slam man to roller skates to the diet, all of every diet program, and Suzanne Summers Thigh Master, the Tony Little, everybody came on our show. And the funny thing was, remember, I'm kind of still fighting my weight, so I would always wear these jackets over my tush. I didn't like the size of my tush. And there'd be these cute little fitness models with these little six packs wearing a bra top. I could never do that. And they would go, okay, so, um, so like, what is this? And they'd look at the producer and he'd say, it's an ab machine. Okay, so this is an ab machine. And I finally said, look, and I'm 20. I don't even know why I thought I had the balls to do this. And I would say, okay, here's what it is. Here's what you're going to, I'm going to question you on this. You're going to pitch me on this. We're going to make this work. Well, the producers over and over again said, hey, could we hire you to host our infomercial? So to date, I've hosted 144 national infomercials. I was one of the first and most successful women to ever really do this. Because I don't really pitch. I converse. I enroll. I have different words and different meanings of what this is, but I don't ever sell you. To me, selling is hard hitting in your face. So I think you take the softness of the kind of the social media, you know, you kind of take the Bernie Sanders kind of, I want to give the world everything for free with the annoyingness of Trump and you mix them together. You don't get Hillary, you get Forbes Riley. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're the love child of Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Guy, can you imagine the two of them alone one night? Okay. <laughs> I'm well, not sh- why did I go there? I, I don't know that I want to be part of that conversation. That's an interesting conversation. So you have gone from acting to being a pitch woman, and I still think that's sales because I think sales my my definition, since we're talking about definitions, I had an aversion to selling because I thought it was something that you did to somebody. I thought it was manipulative and persuasion and making somebody do something that they didn't want to do until I found out it was really something that you do for somebody and with somebody. You're trying to help them get something that they can't get because they don't know how or they don't have the resources or they need help to do it. So that that's the switch. So you figured that out. And then you have a number of products that ended up being your own. So, well, let's do this first. Let's talk about how many billion in sales? Two billion? 
well over $2 billion. Okay, so tell me, I know a couple of these, so tell me about Jack LaLanne Juicer. Is that a billion-dollar product? That is one of the biggest infomercial products of all time. And a huge turning point in every aspect of my life was the day that I met Jack. I had just lost both of my parents. I had gotten pregnant, and I ended up at 42. I pushed out, for all the girls out there, two seven-pound amazing boy-girl twins. And nine weeks after that, I got in a phone call saying, hey, can you come to Toronto to host an infomercial with Jack LaLanne? And I'm like, oh, my God, i am still got a little belly here, and I don't know if I can do this, but I have a, a theory about leap and the net will appear. And I said, sure. Got on a plane, flew up there, and the most amazing 88-year-old spunky guy, like a 22-year-old rabbit, came in with his wife, gave me a big hug and kiss, squeezed my tush and said, ah, we're in, I love you. And we talked about juicing. I'd always thought about all of this. I'd watched him when I was little in his black and white TV show. And this man, talk about the ultimate pitch. See, the truth is pitcher sales. When you come from a place of your heart, your passion, your knowledge, people are lucky if they can get what you're doing. So we did this conversation about juice, about fresh and natural. And I swear... There's very few people who ever walk the planet that are the ultimate in what they do. I'm sure Mark Spitz and, and Michael, who's the guy who's swimming? Phelps. Michael Phelps. The best way you want to go swimming, you want to talk to them. You want to talk about ice skating, Christy Yamaguchi. You know, these people who have excelled in what they do. Jack LaLanne gave up sugar when he was 14 years old. He opened health clubs in a time when there were none. He was criticized and ridiculed for being an outcast, but he stood firm and now... 40 years later, there's a health club in every hotel, on every corner, every diet. I mean, he started all of this. In fact, when I went to his house, he created the Smith machine and the leg extension. He's got literally their, their laminate, like the gold lame. It's crazy what he invented. And I listened and watched him. He wasn't selling. He was emanating what he believed was the truth. That conversation, Anthony, ran for eight consecutive years on television in 80 countries Sometimes as much as four to 800 times a week, we sold a billion dollars worth of juicers. That's amazing. That, that's an amazing story. And you know what? It's, it was his purpose. It was his meaning. It was his passion. So it's very, very real. I, I was going to ask you this question, but you answered it for me. He always appeared to me to be so authentic. He's the real deal. This is a guy who walked his talk for decades. That's how he always struck me. I think all the most successful infomercials that we've ever seen have been the real deal. I work with Billy Blank. He was the real deal. Mari Windsor, when it came to Pilates, she was the real deal. Suzanne Summers, as crazy and wonderful as she is, she is an exercise fanatic. Jane Fonda. They weren't joking about this. They weren't hired actors to do a health thing. They did what they did as part of their lives, and we got to witness it. And that's when you see, I mean, even Tony Horton. I work with Tony from P90X. This is his passion. It consumes him. There's also the kind of person who's just a salesperson who's hired to do a job. And we've all heard that expression, when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. I've been fortunate to be around those people who just live their passion, and it turns into product. Did you have a product with Montel Williams? What was that product? Oh, see, now Montel, I had met just after he got diagnosed with MS, and we did a blender emulsifier, kind of like a Vitamix, but that sold for 500, ours sold for about 200. And Montel, who has been you know, in the Navy, 17 years as a talk show host, is now battling to be alive. And his passion and commitment to food, he carries a green juice wherever he goes. And so we sold the Montel Williams Health Master Blender. Unbelievable product. I mean, you could make hot soup in this. There's a funny thing, Jack always talked about cooking kills. How do you keep enzymes alive in your body? 
And so that's also almost a billion dollars in sales. That product, yeah, I was going to ask you, that, that's a billion dollar product too. That's a couple billion dollar products. That's amazing. Well, and then I did home shopping. And I did home shopping in the early days. I've been doing home shopping QVC in several countries like UK, here, Australia, Canada. And now I do HSN here. I live in Florida. And if you've seen the movie Joy, you've actually seen some of my life as well. Going up on Long Island, having a goofy idea for products and now live getting to pitch them out to millions of people. Is is your product Spin Gym? Is that yours? It is the Spin Gym. Yeah. And then, so you developed your own product. Tell me about that. Well, so if you've sold 1,500 fitness products, you've seen everything. Every resistance band, every kind of step and bike and blah, 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 blah. I had a resistance band, by the way, snap off my foot and shadow my nose for the second time. I know. Lucky me, right? Literally cracked my entire nose. And the funny thing about that is two days after I hurt my nose and I was in a brace, I actually auditioned for and landed the lead host in a national talk show for TLC. So my goal about you're the sum of the obstacles you overcome seems to prevail in my life and I'm sure many others. So many people get hit in the face literally or figuratively with an obstacle and they stop. For me, I've just, I'm a Taurus. I just keep going like a bull in a china shop. Yeah, but you know what? This is the thing about the twos. Too ugly, too fat, too, you know, too old, too everything. And none of it really matters. You just keep going and you keep moving forward and you keep finding opportunities. And I look adorable in a two, too. So who knows? <laughs> so <to laughs> ask about my spin when I have to share the story. So I was on a quest to find the thing that was me. Now, here's the crazy thing. And I don't know if you call it the universe or God, but I was at the end of my rope. I'd had some very bad things happen to me aside from losing my parents and giving birth to twins, which was great. My husband's little brother had just gotten murdered literally murdered in Los Angeles. We're on the cover of the LA Times. His killer is spending 52 years to life in jail. I just said, you know what? I need something that's mine. And then to top it all off, I got the lead in a TV series for Fox. If you go to Forbes Riley acting demo, you can see this. And at the 11th hour, Anthony, they replaced me with Bo Derrick. They said that I wasn't famous enough. And my agent said, you know, Forbes, you make money doing infomercials and products. You should brand yourself. It's tough to sell you as an actress because you're not, don't have a really big name in that industry. If you still want to make movies, you know, make enough money and buy your own movie down the road. And I was brokenhearted and shattered. I came to HSN and came in Florida with my two three-year-olds and said, dear God, I need something that's mine. I need to, to do, I need this, whatever this is, please help me figure it out. And I was in a green room in England and in walked a guy with this little product that he uses as an office de-stressor. And I said, what is that? He said, and we just use this to de-stress when we're sitting at the desk. And I tried it and I first couldn't get it to work. He went on television. He sold a thousand of them. When he came back, I said, can I please try this? And the moment this thing spun, I had an epiphany. I literally saw my life. Now, this has never happened before or since. I said to him, and I wasn't really an entrepreneur at the time. I said, can I buy this? He said, well, sure. No, I said, like the company. He said, well, we've sold about 100,000 in the last five years. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm a corporate magician. You are Forbes Riley. I said, this is the greatest piece of fitness product I've ever touched. He said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, good. He said, if you can sell 25000 in the first year, I'll give you my company. You just give me a small percentage and it's yours. Six years later, I own a $30 million company making spinjins. Nice. And that is yours. Let me, let me get technical with you because I like to give people something that they can use on this. Not that you haven't already done that. You've given a lot of wisdom here and there's a lot of really good messages that I'll put in the show notes. But let me ask you. You're from Brooklyn. Could you tell it? Well, you're going to bring up my Brooklyn roots. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I got to bring up the Brooklyn roots because it's the confidence thing that you have. And so you tell me about this little girl from eight to 14 who had no self-confidence and who thought she was ugly. I'm having a tough time seeing that because you look like you've always been confident. Talk about confidence and self-esteem. 
when you're pitching, tell me about what that does when you pitch and what it means if you don't have it. Let me share something with you. I don't know that anybody has it. I don't care what we look like. You know, when you see somebody beautiful, I used to, I, when I was little and I still, used, I look at somebody beautiful and wow, they must have a wonderful life. I've lived long enough to know that no matter what you look at, you've been on some level screwed over or made to cry or suffer or you don't feel the way you look. That was the biggest revelation to me because when I was little, all I wanted to be was pretty. And the thing about fake it till you make it, I actually ascribe to build the illusion to achieve the dream. Now, I don't come from any style or any class, and God love my parents, seriously middle class. We kept plastic on the furniture my whole life, and we had a very small little life. And I dreamed there was a mansion in the town next to me, right near my dentist. And I kept going, wow, what would it be like to live there? And I literally kept dreaming of what this was like. I get to New York when I'm young. And I said, how do I learn this? How do I learn manners and style? And, and I went to work as a social secretary for the Grace family. Here's how embarrassing I was. We're in the car one day and Mrs. Grace said to me, can you get Louis Vuitton out of the trunk? And I said, I'm sorry, who's in the trunk? <laughs> and she just said, oh, you'll learn. And baby, I did. I set out to study how do rich people think? What is different about them? Than the, the, and by the way, I love my people. I wouldn't trade this and money doesn't make you. But there's things that I just didn't get. I even didn't even get manners. I still, to this day, will eat with my fingers in public. And my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's my people. We eat, we eat with our mouth open. We eat with our fingers. It's how I eat a chicken. But I wanted to be something else. Now, the other thing I'll share with you is the definition of success. Because when I moved to LA and I had my little Toyota Corolla, and I remember pulling up to a party, and I was looked down on by this valet who probably made less money than I did. And I walk into this room and everyone's either famous or wealthy. And I feel like I'm invisible. Well, here's what shifted. I became very good friends with a girl who had cerebral palsy, who can't and will never walk on her own. And she looked at me one day and she said, Forbes, you are so successful. I said, no, I'm, I'm not. I don't have enough money. She said, stop, stop, stop. She said, you can do something I'll never do. You can walk across the dance floor in high heel shoes and walk down the aisle for your wedding. I will never do that. You are the most successful person I know. And so there are moments when I will just stand in the middle of a room and go, okay, I don't care how much money or what roles or Bentley or jewelry people have to be seen because I can stand here in high heels. I am successful. Own what it means to be successful. And I will take that, breathe, and go from that place of success and power and confidence, even if I truly don't always feel it. You put yourself in that state. That's what it is. It's a, it's a state of mind. Yeah. And, and it's not given to you. Here's another thing that I learned. See, my dad was a blue-collar worker. So the first time that I said, I'm a CEO, I looked around going, is anyone going to think I'm lying? <laughs> and then I said, I'm an expert. Nobody lets you do that. You have to claim that. And I, for me, it was uncomfortable. And then I grew into it. So if you're lacking in confidence, you have to come and redefine what confidence means for you and how you stand before somebody and offer them something of value. And that should allow you to experience your own confidence. I've got a picture of Napoleon taking the crown on the wall. I mean, and, and that's it. You put the crown on yourself whenever you're ready. And that's what it is. Let me get actionable. Tell me why people, and th this is a lot of people that listen to this are entrepreneurial types, and they have a great product or they have a great idea for a business, but they fail. What are some of the reasons that people with a great product fail? One, they listen to everyone else who says they can't do it. So I agreed to find the word no. No means never-ending opportunity. We will all knock on doors and be told no a lot. And if you go, wow, wrong person, wrong question, I just keep going because it's around the corner. You know, it's that three feet from gold concept. Second, they don't have the right knowledge. You shouldn't trust your own judgment. You know, we were talking the other day, my kids 
We're talking about senses and how you can't trust your own senses. My son didn't understand. I said, well, number one, I do magic tricks. You didn't really see the woman get cut in half, although you believe that she did, right? Or if I blindfold you and feed you some food, you can't always tell what they are. So your senses sometimes lie to you. So I have people pitch me products all the time. And what they didn't stop to realize is that nobody wants the product that they think is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I always do test groups and I will go to the mall. I'll go outside on the street and stop people and say, hey, try this. What do you think? And I won't tell them what they think. I'll write it down objectively and go, huh, okay, well, eight people thought this was silly. I can't go, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So you really have to kind of listen. You then, if you don't have all the answers, find that mentor, find someone who is successful. So many people are afraid to ask for help. Not the kind of help they think they need, but the kind of help they really do need. And then who have you surrounded yourself with? Are you around successful people who make more money than you? That should inspire you. Or you're around a couple of lazy bums who, you know, well, you know, you gotta come play on the weekend with us. Being an entrepreneur takes work, takes dedication and sacrifice. And when you do all those things, I will tell you, you're almost destined to be successful in what you do. It's interesting because so much of this is the vision thing. I mean, in, in having the vision of what that is, I have a similar story to you. I, I realized I was poor growing up and that I had no manners and had not, but you know, I, I had the same scenario in like my mid thirties. I'm like, wait a second. I was poor. What did I do? I mean, how did this happen? And I didn't know I was poor because when you're surrounded and everybody has the same thing that you have, you don't know. And then you start seeing other things and your vision shifts and you just wonder if you were aggressively pursuing that vision and you might've found it earlier than I did. But if you see it and you go, wait a second, this is just a vision thing of what you set as expectations for yourself. It's what you say, this is the minimum level I'm going to accept. Then the world starts to fall in line with that vision. Don't you think Richard Branson and Oprah Winfrey, who are billionaires, wake up with a little different set of things in their head every day than you and I do? Yeah. And that's what Tony Robbins was modeling. You want to change your life, start thinking differently. And I've discovered as I've gotten more successful that my thinking has definitely changed. I remember a time when and my mom would you go to a store and you'd get 10 $1 t-shirts. You'd never buy a t-shirt for $10. Well, now I buy a t-shirt for $100 and I don't think about it. Well, what changed? One, I understand value and quality. She didn't get that. She had a very different kind of scarcity model. You had to hold on to things. I truly think listening to podcasts like this, and thank you, Anthony, for doing this, for allowing people into my brain, into your brain, into hearing what people do to be successful, and you pick and choose. But you're right. I didn't know that we really didn't have money either growing up because I had so much love. And in truth, I would take the love over the money any day. I see really wildly successful people with spoiled brat kids who don't value anything. So- at the end of the day, it's what you give, it's who you are, and what you become that is really the most important. Yeah, I have the same thing. I, the reason I had no scarcity growing up is I had an abundance of love. I didn't know, and now I know that. The abundance of love changes everything. Let me get, uh, I'm going with the James Lipton type questions here at the end. So let me ask you these. What are you reading right now? <laughs> That's such a great question. I was actually rereading Think and Grow Rich. All kidding aside, Think and Grow Rich I'm rereading for the 18th time the four-hour body because Tim Ferriss is my absolute idol and Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giants. Yeah, good stuff. Napoleon Hill never goes out of style. It's funny, there's some books that I have to reread like every two to three years and that's on that list to remember, just the reminder. What's the most important book you've read? What was the book that moved you the most? Now, this is contradictory to what I just said, but it was The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. Yeah, and one, it's a really short book. I remember hearing somebody had read it like a chapter every day. And I read this one little crazy book and the light bulbs went off. And yeah. I thought, huh, okay, I get it. I get it and I love it. 
Great book. Great story to one of the best. Who in your life has had the biggest influence on your thinking? Now, that's interesting. I'm going to start with my dad. My dad was a magician, a dreamer, an inventor. And I often credit a lot of what I do because he had no limits to his imagination. He has no practicality either. He never sold a single invention in his life. But he created some of the most magical things you've ever seen. And the funny story about this is it just came back to fruition. My parents passed away about 16 years ago. I just went back to the house I grew up in. And the people who bought the house are still there. And my dad had all these hidden cabinets. I mean, the medicine cabinet was a four-foot-deep lazy Susan that you could crawl into. And literally, this woman invited me in, and she said, do you know how much we cold up? We kept thinking we'd find a hidden fortune behind these magical things. I said, I know. I grew up in a world that defied logic. And so my dad was it. He really was. Was he an eccentric? You know, that's an interesting no. He was actually incredibly practical, except for this. Now, is an eccentric when you let your daughter fly an airplane before she can drive a car? Yeah. Is it eccentric that you grow up and do magic? And maybe he was. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> fine. He wasn't your typical dad. But he thought like no one else I'd ever seen. He had a very logical, mathematical brain. So I love analyzing things like data and numbers. But when my creativity starts going, it's limitless. And I love—I actually do magic tricks now for people all the time. I love watching people go, wow, that's amazing. That's fun. What's the most important lesson you've learned in life? To laugh at yourself. To not take you too seriously, even when everyone else does. I think when people meet me, they often say, wow, you're so much nicer than I thought you would be or more open or more vulnerable. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Well, they also say also prettier and thinner, but no, (laughs) I don't look at myself as successful. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I see celebrities who I get a little starstruck. I forget that to some people. I am that person, but I don't ever take it seriously. I try to be nice. That, you know, here's a great lesson that I learned and it served me really well. When I was in high school doing theater, even if you have a lead in the play, you were required to paint the scenery or take the tickets, or sweep up. He always made sure that you had to do that menial job. So to me, whenever I'm on a set and there's all these people around, that's who I'm nice to. So when I went in to get my talk show, one of the camera guys came up to me after I got it, and he said, hey, I got your show for you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, after your audition, they came to me. They knew that we'd worked together and said, what is Forbes Riley like? And I said, she's one of the most nicest people. She said, she remembers my kids' birthdays. And I thought, wow, because I did that, I got what I wanted. If you weren't doing what you do now, and we'll put show notes in here so people can go to Forbes Living and look at the TV shows that you're doing. If you weren't doing that and speaking and acting, what would you be doing? Well, I didn't know that porn star was actually a career. And I just, <laughs> I'm I not sure it is a career. Oh, okay. No, no. I'm sorry. I think it's a short-term gig. You know, I wouldn't have known this answer until I had kids. 13 years ago, I had my two beautiful children, and they are now tall. They're six foot tall, each of them. I married a guy six foot six. I would have been a kindergarten teacher. I'm obsessed with little children. I'm obsessed with little minds who I would feed them amazing green drink. That's what I do to my children. And I just want the little ones that want to hug you before they're jaded. And being around that innocence just feeds my soul. And I would have been a kindergarten. I would have been an amazing kindergarten teacher. How do you think we end up jaded? We're not in kindergarten. We're full of love and hope and happiness and joy and all these other things. What happens? Oh, I watched it. I watched it happen with my daughter and my son going through school. Kids are cruel. They couldn't wait to start talking about whether Santa Claus is real or not real. They couldn't wait to say, oh, you're fat. You're this, you're that. When my kids were little, they had friends of every different race. And man, it was adorable. And then one day, somebody looked and said, wow, you're a brown person. Why are brown people not as good? My son said, why are there only brown people playing basketball? I thought, all of a sudden you start seeing differences. And I want to say that it's 
Unfortunately, the thing that separates us from animals, it's this brain that we have. We as humans have some innate little wiring. We have greed. We have self-interest. We have prejudice. By the way, prejudice is very valuable. If you don't have prejudice, you can't prejudge if there's danger. That is why we do this. And we've morphed it into this odd thing that just doesn't serve us very well. And then people hurt each other. I don't know why we do this. You'll screw someone over. You'll physically try to damage somebody. If you saw the Oscars, I broke out crying when I'm watching Lady Gaga and all of these people stand there. And what that meant was that somebody physically raped them, attacked them, put themselves on the people. I don't understand why we do this in a species where the only ones who kill each other. Okay? It's called being human. And I am in love with the innocence of little ones. I now look at little boys before testosterone kicks in, and they are the yummiest creatures on the planet. And then they get hair. I've got twin 16-year-old daughters, and I tell them continually, the greatest risk to your safety is men. Period. End of story. Well, don't do that. You'll mess them up for that. No, they're all right. They have boyfriends. They're fine. But I want them to know. Well, and I don't think it's necessarily men. I think it's, there's this testosterone thing. I mean, how many wars are started by women? Actually, not many, I don't think. There's a thing innately. I don't actually even want to go into all that because it makes me so sad that we choose to hurt each other on any level. Then I'll ask you the last question. What do you want to be remembered for? Now you're going to make me cry. For being this inspirational light for people. It just gives them hope. It says, you know, when it all fell apart, this chick kept going. And I think about her and I'm inspired to keep going and being bigger and better in my own life. No one can see this, but I can. So thank you so much, Forbes Riley. This is awesome. You made me cry, baby. <laughs> and I hope to God that I am remembered for all that because I see the joy. I love getting emails from people who tell me that I inspired them or I motivated them. And I think it's, it's not about me anymore. It is his gift. And I'm grateful for you for giving a platform like this. Thank you, my darling. And I can see you too. By the way, he's very cute. And I, I love the fact that you think it's important to spread the word about all this. So, mwah! I told you you were going to love Forbes Riley, and we delivered. Isn't she wonderful? You can go check her out at ForbesRiley.com. I think there's a lot to learn about pitching from someone who has successfully pitched $2 billion worth of sales in the fitness industry on television. Such a great model, and her mindset is absolutely worth emulating. So a big thanks to Forbes Riley. Again, ForbesRiley.com. This episode of In the Arena was sponsored by Sales Gravy University. You know I'm good friends with Jeb Blunt, and you know he does great work, and you know he wrote Fanatical Prospecting, but you may not know that he created Sales Gravy University. And what is Sales Gravy University, you ask? And it's a great question. Sales Gravy University is sales training in your pocket. What you're going to get is an innovative training app that's going to help you accelerate your sales performance and improve your income, and it's in your pocket. It's on your phone, whether that's an iPhone or an Android phone. You can go out to the iTunes store and download the app, or you can go to the Play Store and download the app there. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get the platform when you sign up, and you're going to be able to buy what you want. There's going to be in-app purchases there for you. You can purchase some courses for 99 cents, and that might be a short video, a tutorial, or an audio program. You're also going to find something that costs more. I think I have a program on there for $9.99, and it's how to plan a sales call. It's four modules. It's probably close to 25 minutes long, and it's content to help you set up success when you're going to do the most important thing that salespeople do, and that's go sit down face-to-face with a client or a prospect. Here's what I love about this platform, and this is where I think Jeb's genius comes in. 
This is spot training. So you're in your car, you've got a problem, you're going to go out, you're going to watch a video, you're going to read a tutorial, or you're going to listen to an audio track, and you're going to come up with the ideas that you need to succeed when you're sitting down with that customer. Or maybe this is part of your personal development and your growth, and you're going to listen to one module every week, and you're going to work on that module, and then the next week you're going to pick up something else and grow from there. Go check out Sales Gravy University. You can Google it, and you'll come up with the iTunes preview as the second link. You'll also find the link in the show notes or go out to the Play Store and search for Sales Gravy. I promise there's nothing else in the world called Sales Gravy and only a Southerner like Jeb Blunt who rides horses and eats steak and probably drinks whiskey is going to call something Sales Gravy because to a Southerner, nothing is real unless you can put gravy on it. Go check it out. When you get there, tell Jeb that I sent you and do check out the sales call planning module there. I think you'll love it. And I think that you're going to find it super helpful when you go in to make a sales call. I am Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. When you go there, you're going to be assaulted by a pop-up banner when you try to click on something or when you try to leave. And that's so that I can get your first name and your email address. I'm going to send you every Sunday morning content that you can use in your sales game or your business game or your success game. That's long form, actionable, something that you're going to be able to look at Monday morning and say, I've got ideas and I can get to work improving myself and my results. Also, go visit me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. Do subscribe there where I'll send you video content, me talking into the camera, sharing ideas with you or interviewing other people. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you next time right here in the arena.